0: Welcome to the 41st episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we discuss murders that intrigue us. I'm Mercedes.
1: And I am Cindy. Thank you for listening to last week's episode where we featured the cross-dressing wife killer, Dr. Richard Sharp.
0: Our show is often horrifying and graphic, and we will use offensive language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. Also, we are passionate and always have been about true crime, but we must warn you that sometimes we'll make jokes and laugh during our podcast. Would
1: you like to learn more about
0: us? Please visit our website
1: At it wasn't me true crime.com, to find links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. If you like what you hear and you'd like to help us out, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a five-star rating along with a comment. Also, please recommend our podcast to your friends. The more the merrier.
0: Hey, Cindy, how's it going?
1: It's going all right. How how was your week?
0: Well, you know what? It's been pretty um, uneventful, really. Yeah. Went out on a boat yesterday. My husband got a little John boat.
1: Nice. Yeah. So
0: I'm going to post a picture on our website about showing a place right by my house that I never knew was there. It looks like a murder pier. Like, it's so creepy. Like, we floated past it or trolled past it or whatever you call it it, and I was like where the hell did that come from I've never even known it existed and it's scary yeah, I mean, super I'm, scary. I didn't yeah. even know
1: that was there either. And when you sent me that
0: picture, I was like, what
1: the hell was yeah. that? So we... Like, knows of it. Yeah,
0: he might. We show him the picture and see if he knows. So check it out. It'll be on our website. I'll post it. Uh, creepy. And whenever I see creepy things, I think I always put the word murder in front of it. Like, murder appear. <laughs> right. or, you know, um, ooh, look at that murder house. I don't know if it actually is murder, but, you know, murder is my passion. Yeah, we have a few of them around <laughs> we, here. <laughs> a few what? Murder, murder houses. Yeah. Oh, God, I know. It's so sad. It is. All right. Well, uh, last week we had talked about um, Dr. Sharp and he had yes. borderline personality disorder. Yes. I did look it up and don't have any notes in front of me, but just basically they are overly dramatic about things and something goes wrong. They overly dramatize it. Their emotions are, are super high, you know, so yeah, I'm probably butchering this and we'll probably cut it all out, but yeah. <laughs>
1: No, I I'm thinking of a couple of different people that are like, that I know that are kind of like that. And I think when you say borderline personality disorder, you think, like, you think worse than maybe someone, I don't know. Does that make sense? Like, you think, like, borderline personality disorder, oh, they must be really messed up and like a crazy person or, you know, psycho. Right. But really... You can have that and not be you could like you said. You can still function in
0: society, and, and, but yeah, yes, yes. Just, I know.
1: You know, so now like everything. everything
0: is every emotion is exaggerated. Exaggerated mm-hmm. or every event is exaggerated. And and again I'm probably exaggerating this, but um it's much, much deeper. So this week's episode takes place in Aberdeen, South Dakota. Which by the way is the birthplace of the Super Eight Motels. Did you know that? I
1: did not know that, but Aberdeen sounds familiar. Just the the name. I think
0: there might be an Aberdeen, Texas. That must be like a name that that other states have because I've heard of Aberdeen also, but I think it was somewhere in the south. I'm not sure. Yeah, it seems like a Aberdeen.
1: seems like a southern. It does, doesn't it? So
0: it's a home of the first Super 8 Motels, in case you didn't know that. But it also has a Storyland. And this is kind of like an amusement park with a fairy tale, or not, not fairy tale, but... Um,
1: like a nursery rhyme?
0: Nursery rhyme place. Yeah, like they have rides and stuff, like the Jack and the Beanstalk or Humpty oh. Dumpty. Okay. Just to name a few. It's And it has like this big castle. And I'm like, whoa, what is that? So... Is
1: it open?
0: I don't know if it's open during COVID, but yeah, it's... it's I mean, like it's, it's a functioning... It's a functioning... functioning yes, oh, okay. yes. okay. All right.
1: Because, uh, you know, sometimes you see on the internet where you have like this... The, um,
0: like those murder parks. Yeah. <laughs> right. There you are with those murders. <laughs> that murder creepy. Well, you know,
1: like the ones yeah. that are shut down. Yeah. Like after Katrina. Yeah,
0: the murder park.
1: There was like a, I think after Katrina, there was a, um, it might have been before that, but what is Six Flags? There's uh-huh. like a Six Flags somewhere that's like a skeleton. Yeah, like, like it's a defunct. Even, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I, I didn't know if it was like that or not. Yeah. So, which no, is super creepy. No, I, it's,
0: pictures. I'm not sure if it's open right now because of COVID, but yeah, it's a functioning oh, okay. place. I actually would vacation at this place. It oh, just wow. looks so so charming. Okay. And, and you know, they have a lot of ranches. You can rent a cabin for a few days, stay on a ranch. It's, it's, but as idyllic as the place looks... Of course, I first learned about it by finding a murder. Of course. So are you ready?
1: I'm ready. Give it to me. Okay.
0: So we're going to start out. I'm going to introduce you to a kid named Michael Kenny. He turned 19 on Tuesday, May 7th, 1985. And like a normal 19-year-old, he's living a carefree young adult life in Aberdeen, South Dakota. He lived with his mom. His mom's husband or his stepdad had died previous November. So Mm. I would say about six months after that's After his stepdad died, this is this is his birthday. Okay. Right. Uh he, he's a freshman in college. He just graduated from high school. The world was an awesome place for him. He attended Northern State College in Aberdeen. He had a gorgeous girlfriend and he and his best friend had plans to go on like this huge hunting trip with his dad. His dad's name is Jack Kinney and his dad was a PI. But he was a retired uh, highway patrol guy. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Sometimes I think I missed my calling. Maybe I should have been in private investigation.
0: I always thought about being a PI, but you know, it seems like you'd be a lot of boring stakeouts. With, yeah, you know, that
1: you know. would that would come with it. Yeah. Now,
0: Mike worked part time at a quick print in Aberdeen. He never had to worry about money because he had inherited a sizable chunk from his grandma. Is and that then,
1: like a, um, just like a, like you see in college towns, like. Yeah, you know, gets stuff printed, I, you know, I, you know what? I did
0: not look that up, but I was thinking that either that or maybe you remember those places where you could go get your pictures printed.
1: Oh yeah, like like so, the little shacks. Yeah. The, yes, yes, so, yes, yes, yes. but I'm not
0: sure. I didn't. I didn't look that oh, up. Okay. It's a quick print. I don't know if those places are still alive or not. <laughs> But he never had to worry about money. So he did work and he did go to school, but he didn't have to like help out on the ranch or anything like that because they could hire people. It was, it was a fully functioning, um, super successful horse ranch. Oh, wow. Like their horses were sought out by, you know, wealthy people all over. They they had like some of the best thoroughbreds. I can't remember what the horses were, but you know, I'm not a horse person, but these horses, they were hugely successful.
1: Well, I know just stuff like this what is so expensive a lot of times is uh, like my friend uh, her brother works on a ranch with bulls and they have like this bull there and like his semen is worth like thousands and thousands of dollars
0: I hope I never have to hear you say semen again (laughs) well Uh, so uh, it's a pedigree of the the animal and that's exactly what their horses were like they had some of the best pedigree horses he like i said he had gotten a inheritance from his grandma his mom also had inherited her second husband's estate when he died the previous november mike lived at home with her he had no need for everything he had a nice car he didn't need to worry about student loans and like I said, the ranch was very successful. So he didn't have to do any work on the nice. ranch to make things go, you know. His mom was generous. Like she said, he had access to everything that I had. She said that. He was a good kid, a loving, happy son who was enjoying his best life, you know. Um, he he was he was living the life. Yeah, didn't have to worry like about it. a thing, you know. Carefree. Carefree. Yeah. You know, was worried about his grades or whatnot, but whatever.
1: Well, and lucky for yeah. him that that's all he had to yeah, worry about. Yeah, that's, right.
0: that's right. That's
1: right. We could have all been that lucky at 19. And we're gonna
0: get to that because there is another another person we're gonna introduce. I'm gonna introduce you to here in just oh, do a little okay. bit. All right. On the morning of May 8th, 1985, Kenny left his home that he shared with his mom, Mrs. Sandra McNeil, to attend classes at nearby Northern State College in Aberdeen. Afterwards, he hung out with friends. He ran some errands, hung out with friends, then he went to his girlfriend's house before heading home around 11:30 p.m. So
1: this is the day after his birthday. This is
0: the day after his birthday.
1: Oh, Lord. It's a Friday. I don't like where this is going.
0: He never made it home.
1: I mean, it's tragic when your child <coughs> dies anyway. But to me, I just think add insult to injury when he dies on his birthday or right around his birthday. I mean, I had, a, I had two friends in junior high. They're twins. Born on the same day, we we're playing chicken on four-wheelers and hit each other, and they both freaking die. Oh, my God. I mean...
0: Jesus. Yeah. So when he didn't show up the next day, his mom wasn't terribly worried. I mean, after all, he's 19. It was his birthday, so maybe just staying with friends after celebrating, you know. But she became alarmed on May 9th when on her way into town, she saw her son's car parked on a gravel side road about a quarter mile from their home. Oh, shit. She got out. She parked her car. She got out. Um, He wasn't in the car. He wasn't anywhere around the area. She called his name. She looked around. No one answered. His car was locked. She could see the the checklist that he had been working on for his upcoming hunting trip that was on the passenger seat.
1: It sounds like a really kind of responsible kid. If he had a checklist, yeah. I, I mean... mean, I love
0: checklists. <laughs> I'm, a checklist per- I'm a checklist person, so yeah, I get it. His, um like I said, she, you know, she's kind of alarmed. She starts calling his friends, but none of them have seen him since the night before. His best friend since second grade, Barry Walther. This is the kid that he was planning on going hunting with. Okay said that Mike had been over that night for pizza and they hung out for a few hours. They were discussing the upcoming hunting trip as usual. They had been planning the trip for about two to three months and they were super excited about it. Like that was all on their mind. They were getting ready to go. The best friend Barry told the mom that Mike said he had gotten his oil change in his car. He got his hunting license. He had a gunsmith adjust the trigger on a shotgun so he had run some errands that day after school. She also called his girlfriend Kelly and Kelly as far as police know were the. Was the last person to have seen Mike. She told them that they watched a movie um, then they went for a ride. They hung out until around 1130. She said that when she saw him he was wearing a sleeveless tan shirt that she would give him, given him the day before his birthday. So he wearing jeans, a sleeveless tan shirt with some sort of graphic on it and his Nikes. Like an 80s
1: muscle shirt. Yes. Like,
0: yes. That's exactly yeah. what I picture. <laughs> she told Mike's mom that Mike was going home and he promised that he would contact her the next day. Like I said she was the last known person to have seen him. Mrs. McNeil and his friends also drove around they looked in all his hangout spots but they couldn't find him anywhere. Finally she ended up calling the police filing a missing persons report right and then, you know police are like don't worry he'll turn up he's young. No but blah, that's blah, blah, when you call right? his dad who's there. Right retired. and she probably has but she probably did call the dad but that is not I didn't right, see that. Right yeah. yeah. But on May 10th the next day at around nine o'clock she gets a call from somebody she did not know and the caller instructed her that if she ever wanted to get her son back she needed to go to a phone booth and an in an aberdeen bar and find the payphone and retrieve an envelope that was there under the payphone now caller id and star 69 as far as i know were not available then so the caller remained anonymous can't do that nowadays can no? yeah right mm-hmm. so she went to the bar as instructed and there she found a ransom note no way the ransom note read quote I want $200,000 in 50s and 100s. No cops. Nobody knows. You have until Saturday night or Sunday sometime for most of the money or all. I want all of the money before you get your son back. No cops or he dies.
1: Oh, crap. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm calling the police anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. Of course, she calls the police. And the police, of course, call in the FBI because kidnapping is yeah. FBI. Police and mm-hmm. FBI agents then secure $190,000 from local banks and... And took the money to the McNeil residence where they waited for their instructions. Oh wow. So they have almost all of the money. None of it, I don't know, she put in any, it doesn't seem like she put in any. No, because they Mm
1: -hmm. pretty much guaranteed they'll get their money back. It's marked. It's whatever. It is marked. Yes,
0: yes. The caller did not call back that Sunday. Instead, he called back Monday, May 13th. A still unidentified caller, he tells Mrs. McNeil to leave the money near a statue in a park near Northern State College at 9pm that night. When she asked to speak To her son, you know, I need to talk to my son. I need to make sure he's okay. The caller refused. He said, "Look, you're not talking to him until I get the money." But he's okay. Look, this is what he's wearing. So then he described what he was wearing: Levi's, a tan sleeveless shirt, and Nike shoes. Hmm. I can't tell you how many times they brought up what this guy wore in almost every article Mm -hmm. I read. So I'm guessing that that kind of was important. Yeah, maybe. I think Uh it might establish time of death or... You know, last time anyone saw him, he was still wearing the same thing. He was, went to school in that morning, whatever. So that night, two FBI agents went to the statue in the park and dropped off a suitcase. And one of them was a female, so it looked like maybe the mom. I'm right. not sure. They The suitcase had the $190,000 in it. And then in a false bottom, it had, they called it a beeper, which I'm guessing is basically a radio controlled tracking device. Mm-hmm. Mrs. McNeil was at home and all of her son's friends were there, like Barry Walther and his girlfriend. Her oldest son, Dave Kenny, who was in the Air Force at the time, was also there as well as some of her close friends. Special Agent Moore was also there with them. They didn't have to wait long before they heard the news that a man jogged up to the statue at 10.05 p.m., picked up the suitcase, and jogged to a blue Oldsmobile that wasn't parked too far away. Hmm. The person, who was male, drove off, unaware that he had been observed by federal, state, and local law enforcement. So the agents actually tracked him by the tracker. So they they tracked the suitcase to a residence where it stopped for a few minutes before starting up again. This time the tracker was in a different car as an orange Camaro, which they followed across the state border to Starbuck, Minnesota. Now, due to the confusion of the car swap, the excessive speeds of the Camaro was going in excess of 85 miles an hour, plus there was a torrential <laughs> downpour. Of course. They were afraid that they were going to lose him because beeper wasn't yeah. perfect. So they went ahead and pulled him over they stopped him at a roadblock and they arrested him 20 year old todd miller of Aberdeen and his 17 year old sister paula back at the mint meal ranch mike's family and friends were devastated because mike was nowhere to be found Mm -hmm. so they did not follow them to their final destination
1: okay which could have been where mike was or could be bullshit
0: right but now they have no clue and he's not in the car and what did the ransom note say would happen if cops were involved they would kill him okay Mike would not. At the scene of the arrest, police located the briefcase in the Camaro and most of the ransom money was still there. In Miller's wallet, police found $862.00. 760 of that was part of the ransom money, which they identified by serial numbers. Miller at first told police that he only had $500 in his wallet. He said he had withdrawn that from his bank account. When advised that there was more than $500 in the wallet, Miller told the officers that a Mr. Bob Jacobs had given the money to him as traveling money. Miller said that Mr. Jacobs was supposed to buy a horse from Miller in Alexandria, Minnesota. During the conversation, Department of Criminal Investigation or DCI Agent Douglas Lake asked Miller where Mike was. Miller responded, I wouldn't hurt Mike McNeil. He's my best friend. To that point, none of the agents had even mentioned Kenny's last name. Mike's mom's last name was McNeil. So why would Todd even call him Mike McNeil? That's Mm -hmm. not the name he went by. Yeah. I never saw him referred to as Mike McNeil anywhere else, but that was his stepfather's last name. Agent Lake turned Miller over to two Aberdeen police officers and Miller told officers a total of five different stories. But I'm not sure that he ever ever told the actual truth. I'm, I mean, I know he didn't tell the actual truth. I'm not sure that has ever been told publicly. Oh, wow. But first, the first story, as I said, was this Mr. Bob Jacobs promised him that he would buy a horse because Mike's family also owned a horse okay, ranch. Okay. It was not as, and I'm, I have this somewhere later, but I want to just go ahead and say it was not as successful as a McNeil horse ranch. Uh-huh. And I think that was McNeil, I can't was remember. Was it like competition? It was, it was competition, but this was a family run farm that was not doing well okay. and i don't know that they had the pedigree or whatever you call that with horses right the thoroughbred yeah. pedigree or whatever so the first story he told the officers that mr jacobs was a casual acquaintance and mr Jace jacobs had asked him to stop at uh, the statue in the park and pick up a package and to bring it to him in alexandria minnesota so police are like well why would you get involved in something so shady and miller said that he believed that mr jacobs must have been involved in drugs somehow and needed Miller to be a runner for him, but he also needed to sell a horse. So Jacobs promised that he would buy a horse uh, from the Miller family ranch for $45,000. So he went ahead and decided to help the guy out. The The officers suggested that this story did not ring true, and they needed the truth fast if they were to save Mike Kinney's life. Miller then told them the second story, that Jacobs had instructed him by telephone to call Mrs. McNeil and deliver the envelope to the bar. If Miller refused, he would never see his friend again. In the third story, he claimed that Jacobs called him a second time, threatening Miller's newborn child if Miller didn't cooperate. Todd Miller was married and had a, an infant, like not even a week or two old, oh when this God. happened.
1: So maybe you tell me later. But does the mom? Do they try to do like a voice recognition with the this this kid and the?
0: They don't do the voice recognition, but I will tell you that he never denied making those calls. So they didn't really have to. Okay.
1: Um,
0: According to Miller, he was to pick up the money and take it to an Alexandria hotel. The FBI took Miller to the hotel just to create a stakeout or decoy for Mr. Jacobs to show up, but Mr. Jacobs never materialized. Mm. Miller was then taken back to Aberdeen where he was interviewed by FBI agent Adrian Moore on May 16th. At this time, Miller told his fourth Totally different story. He told more that on May seventh, nineteen eighty-five, the evening after his son was born, he was at an Aberdeen bar celebrating his new fatherhood with some friends.
1: Because that's where you need
0: to be right and when your baby. Them, yeah. Right, your wife's in the hospital and you're at a bar. Listen, I've been there, done so, that, girl. Yeah, right. Yeah, me too. My husband did that to me one time, and my blood pressure. I was so freaking pissed off mm. that my blood pressure was through the roof, and they were not going to let me go. I was so pissed. <laughs> I was so mad at him. I was
1: mad at at mine too because I had Lucas at like 9 10 o'clock at night. And then, so like the next, I guess after he left the hospital, he didn't stay with me and he went home. And him and our good friend, your husband, yeah, him and Joey went and played cards all night at our house and got hammered, I guess, and then just slept all day.
0: Yeah. Is this a guy thing? Please, guys, email us. Yeah. A true crime podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Okay,
1: but when, when by the time Isaac <clears throat> came along, he stayed the entire okay, time because yeah. oh. he, <clears throat> he threatened him with his life.
0: So. All right, so here's his story. He was celebrating the birth of his new child, and then when he left the bar at around 11 p.m., two men approached him. One was white. And the other was... Black. No, he was Native American. Oh. Well, Remember, South we're in South Dakota, Dakota, Dakota. right? Oh. And one, the other was, he said Indian, but I'm going to say Native American. But he, um, he said these two men pulled him into an alley and asked him for a favor. He said that the white man punched him in the stomach and threatened him and his baby. The two strangers let him go, and Miller went home. But two days later... He said that he got a call from the white guy who told him to take a note from his mailbox and deliver it to Mrs. McNeil or Kenny and Millard's baby would be killed.
1: How do they have his phone number if these are strangers? I, I mean, none of this in the phone book, I guess?
0: Oh, probably, but none of this really rings true at all, right? These yeah, are silly stories. Miller also told police that the killer told him what Kenny was wearing, Levi's, a tan sleeved shirt, and Nikes. I think I say that every slide. That's okay. Miller told police that he followed all of the men's orders because the man threatened his newborn child. One of those orders was for him to call Mrs. McNeil on May 10th and tell her to go to the bar to look for an envelope. On May 12th, Miller said he received another call from the unidentified white man, and he was given instructions regarding the ransom money, which he told to Mrs. McNeil. Miller was promised some money if he followed orders. As a cover story to explain his trip to Minnesota, Miller told Agent Moore that he made up the horse tale. After collecting the ransom money from the park, he drove to an Aberdeen bar and tried to get his friend Toby to ride with him to Minnesota, but Toby said no. So Miller got his 17-year-old sister, Paula, to go with him. And later he says, oh, that's because there's safety in numbers. Yeah, this 17-year-old girl is going to protect you, right?
1: Well, if she was anything like my daughter was at 17, she probably could. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Two days later, on May 18th, Miller tells his fifth story to Agent Moore. This is the one that law enforcement really believe for some reason, though I totally disagree with this because okay. I have my own theory of what transpired. Which, You know, I'll kind of let you know. I have no idea what transpired, really, but I find the fifth story totally unbelievable really? but this is the one that law enforcement latched onto
1: maybe he was more credible like um believable in this story
0: like i i don't know it's like he tells me four stories and then the fifth one and that's the one they're going to believe yeah mm. all right so here's the story that the police believed mike kinney masterminded his own kidnapping scheme enlisting the help of his best friend todd miller only after he devised the plan
1: you know i did think for a second. I wonder if Mike Kenny did, like, if it like if he got his friends up to it, put his friends up to it.
0: To me, the kid wasn't smart enough to do that, oh, honestly. Okay. I mean, we're going to... I mean, he was just a typical yeah 19-year-old, like, yeah. like, no big aspirations, no motivation. Like, his life was whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. he had money at his disposal. He could go on this huge hunting trip and whatever. And yeah, so like why he would can, he do that if right, he had his right. own money? Now, Miller told police that Kenny was in some sort of drug trouble and needed Miller's help. Supposedly, Kenny had other co-conspirators, but Miller never met them, and he did not know who else was supposedly involved because Kenny wouldn't tell him. Miller said he needed money, so he agreed to help. Miller said that he and Kenny met on three separate occasions between April 26th and May 3rd, 1985. This scheme required Miller to put the plan into motion. He had to call Mrs. McNeil, write the ransom note, retrieve the ransom from the park, and then deliver it safely to their rendezvous spot, the Alexandria Motel in Starbuck, Minnesota. Now, I just want to just point out that in any of the stories, he never denied his involvement at all in some way, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So he, in every one, he admitted to contacting Mrs. McNeil, um, being in charge of the ransom, and, and all of that. So he's never denied involvement at all. Okay. On May 7th, Miller told Kenny that he was backing out. He didn't want to be involved anymore. And the next day, according to Miller, he received a call from an unknown man with a deep voice This person informed him that he had to follow through with the plan or his baby would be killed. On May 12th, the man called again and said, do as you're told. Nobody else is involved and nobody gets hurt. Despite this warning, after picking up the money, Miller took his younger sister with him, apparently for protection, as I said. Partly as a result of this interview, a warrant for Kenny's arrest was issued on May 19th, 1985. So they um, they issue a warrant for Mike Kenny's arrest. Investigators had interviewed a worker at the hotel who claimed that she saw Kenny at the motel in Alexandria on the evening of May 13th, which was the same night that Miller was arrested. Kenny's family and friends were shocked that investigators believed that he had been involved in his own kidnapping. But just to be sure, Mrs. McNeil publicly begged her son to come forward if he was involved. She didn't believe it, though. She told police that he had planned a huge hunting trip. The police said, oh, well, that was just a ruse to throw off everybody's scent. Okay. The family never bought that story. Kenny's mom said her son would have never done this to her. You know, she's still grieving from the death yeah. of her husband.
1: I mean, like, why would her son do this? That there's no any kind of, like, Warning signs, or he wasn't a troubled kid. Exactly, like, kind of like, like yeah, totally out of left field. She, yeah,
0: she says he had money at his disposal, disposal and had wanted for nothing. Kenny wasn't a super motivated, super intelligent student, as I said. No, he wasn't dumb; he's just your average kid. Yeah, you know, school is not his main priority, but he did go to college. He hung out with his friends. He did smoke pot occasionally, but he wasn't a druggie or a criminal mastermind, like the FBI insisted.
1: We're not talking though. What, what was the
0: Honor roll. Right. The honor roll yeah. yeah, definitely. He was just a normal kid. He talked about possible careers in accounting or computer programming. I mean, yawn.
1: I always about to say, mm-hmm. oh my God, that uh-huh. sounds so boring.
0: He also he yeah,
1: number so <laughs> No.
0: There were no personality changes. Like you said, his girlfriend said that Mike would never come up with that idea or be able to pull something off without someone knowing that he was up to something.
1: Well, it seemed like she might be involved if that was the case.
0: Right. No matter what, Sheriff Oaks of the Brown County Sheriff's Department said that investigators deal with facts, and the facts show that Kenny had been involved in the initial planning. I never found evidence of this, so I side with Kenny's families and friends on this one. They did have some people who, who testified to a couple things, but that's a far reach to me. To saying that he was involved in his own kidnapping plan. I don't know what his
1: dad thought. I mean, being a retired sheriff's deputy. His, dad, his dad. Now, dad they did
0: mention his dad a lot, which I really didn't put his dad in there. But his dad was there the whole time okay. also. And his dad did not believe any of this okay. either. And yeah.
1: being inexperienced law enforcement. I think,
0: I think And I think that the mom was focused more, like, with reporters and stuff because she was so emotional about it. Yeah. And she was well, from a very wealthy ranch, like, kind of successful well, slandering rank. them. Yes. As well. mm-hmm. Barry Walther, remember his best friends in second grade, said that Kenny would have never partnered up with Todd Miller. Oh, Todd, he's like, they are not best friends. Okay. They are, they are just acquaintances that we only know him um, from, from school. from school. Actually, they graduated from Aberdeen high school, but they did not run in the same circles. They did ride the same bus to school, but they were not friends. Hmm. Miller and Kenny both grew up on horse ranches, but Kenny's family ranch was way more successful than the Miller Ranch. Wealthy people paid top dollar for the horses from the McNeil Ranch, while the Miller Ranch struggled to sell their horses or keep things afloat. Miller Todd Miller worked hard on his family ranch to help make ends meet, while Kenny didn't really have to. He went to college, he had his own p- part-time job, so it's not like the family relied on him to make right. ends meet.
1: See, and I'm kind of like, I've been watching that TV show Yellowstone, uh-huh. and you know, it's about ranchers, uh-huh. and you know, and yeah, there really hasn't, they're not in competition really with some other ranches, but there's, you know, people trying to come in and buy up their land and that sort of thing, uh-huh. and there's a bunch of, like, illegal shit that goes on. Okay, And so my mind is like, okay, so are these two horse ranches kind of, like, the Millers think that Kenny or the McNeil ranch is their direct competition, where the McNeils are probably like not really concerned about this little ranch over here because they have such a prestigious business. And remember
0: I said that I had my own theories about things? Like, I feel like maybe Todd Miller was super jealous of Kenny. Here Todd Miller is. He's working his ass off for his family ranch, barely making ends meet. He got a girl pregnant, and he had to get married. He can't go to college. He can't lead the free lifestyle that Todd Kenny, I mean, Mike Kenny has. That's my my presumption that I'm thinking this is – he's got – a jealousy thing going that yeah. maybe Kenny didn't even know well, that's about. like
1: my friend that was murdered in high school. Yeah, when we talk yeah. about, you know, the guy that murdered him was a senior in high school. Um, they played the same position in football. My friend played. This guy really didn't. And you know, my friend had a high school girlfriend. Girlfriend in high school. He had a girlfriend off at of college. Uh-huh. You know, it was kind of like big man on campus and. You know they try to say it had to do with steroids and that sort of thing no no one gets that kind of killed over you know a right steroids. yes so it had so much more to do with jealousy you know being that i was close with college girlfriend and him i think that it was more of a jealousy thing not yeah. just a I yeah i mean it might have had a little bit to do with steroids but i think it was more that to, my friend tori had something that this kid this thomas McGill guy wanted and he took it mm. Took what he could. Right.
0: And that's mm-hmm. kind of what I'm getting what I'm what that's what I'm feeling. That wealthy people pay top dollar for the horses from the Menial Ranch while the Miller ranch again struggled to sell their horses. Miller worked hard on his family ranch to make ends meet, and Kenny didn't really have to do much. He went to college, he worked part time, he had a blast enjoying the best years of his life. Miller was already married with a baby. He liked to party as evidenced by his nights at the bar, but he was a hard working son, husband, and father. Both boys were regarded as clean cut, good kids. So people were shocked by this fifth version of events. Like everyone was already shocked that Miller was involved and that Kenny was missing. They just could not fathom that Kenny set up the entire scheme. There was just no way is what they thought. Mm. At least one member of law enforcement had his doubts of Kenny's involvement. He knew that Miller had a motive for the kidnapping. He knew this because on March 1st, 1985, he interviewed Todd Miller at the sheriff's office when Todd came in to see what he could what he could do to satisfy a judgment against his dad, Martin Miller. Hmm. Martin Miller's property had been seized by the Federal Land Bank in Aberdeen for his inability to pay back a loan that he got in September 1978. So from 1980 to 1984, Marty Miller's payments were always one to seven months behind. I hear you. Marty Miller owed other creditors too. So the Miller Ranch was in trouble and they needed a lot of money to make things right.
1: So this just kind of backs up our theory.
0: This is... This backs up our theory. And, of course, you know, Miller goes in to the police station on March 1st and says, what can I do? What can I do to fix this? What if Miller and his family devise the kidnapping kill- scheme? I mean, could one 20-year-old be in charge of this?
1: I mean, I doubt it. But, I mean, we've seen some crazy sh- stories <laughs> so far. But if they're desperate, being, and I've said it before, des- desperation will make you do all kind of crazy shit. Yeah. Like if, so if his parents are talking about, how you know we might lose our property? Da 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 da. Then the Miller kid Todd might you know well I'll do whatever it takes, right? And maybe him and the dad or him and the so sister. So I d-
0: I never found any evidence at all that anyone else was involved. But it, it seems to me like it might be difficult for a twenty year old to pull off on his own. I don't I know.
1: Mean, I could okay. pull that off.
0: I don't believe at all that Mike Kenny had anything to do with his own kidnapping, but I don't know that Todd Miller could have come up with this idea on his own either. If he didn't work alone, he never implicated anyone else aside from those that I told you about earlier. Please get all these stories from Miller, but Kenny is still missing and some of the investigators as well as the prosecutor still believe that Kenny is alive and well somewhere hiding from police. On May 23, 1985, Miller's family was able to bail him out of jail, which really pisses Mrs. McNeil off because Uh, no one had told her that he had been released. Uh,
1: have to tell her? I mean, I would want to
0: know. I feel like that's one of the things that they do, like victims' families, they let them know. Police received many tips regarding their investigation, but one phone tip from an anonymous woman seemed promising. Mm -hmm. The woman said that the kidnapped man was at an abandoned farm southeast of Aberdeen, which... This tip triggered a search in a six-mile radius of Aberdeen, but Mike Kenney was not found. Do
1: they? And they never found out who called?
0: They never Just found out who called, woman? right. On May 28th, they get another call. This is three weeks after Mike Kenny's disappearance. This one from a local farmer named Charles Boulay, and I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I like that name, Boulay. And Boulay calls and look, dudes, I found a dead body. Oh, shit. So it turns out that he was checking his rain gauges on the perimeter of his property near an abandoned ice house that was seven miles west of Aberdeen. He told police that he checked his rain gauges about every two weeks or after a big rain. Remember, there was this big, there was, uh, there were a few torrential downpours. Right, so there were some big that. rains. Yeah. I
1: have a quick question. Yeah. What's an ice house?
0: Um, I'm guessing it's a place where they used to store ice, like where they either make ice or store ice okay. for like, you know. Like so they could sell it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That's my guess. It's abandoned and old. Okay. All right. He's there. He notices a dangerous weed growing up out of the ground and he goes to pick it. And that's when he bent down to pick this dangerous weed and he spots a white tennis shoe and he's like, hmm, why is this white tennis shoe here in the middle of nowhere? Then he's like, the shoe looks so new. It just stuck out. It took him a minute to think about it. Then he noticed that it was under a piece of plywood. He lifts this plywood and underneath he sees a tennis shoe connected to a decomposing body lying under the piece of plywood. When investigators arrived, they noticed that the corpse was wearing Levi's, a tan-sleeved shirt, and Nikes, exactly what Mike Kenny had been wearing the last time he was seen by friends. Boulay said he never checked the shack, and if it hadn't been for the noxious weed, Kenny might never have been found. Oh, wow. So it was just this random weed growing up, right? right? I'm like,
1: what's a dangerous weed? Well, I don't know. It's but, probably in my whole yard. <laughs> right? Yeah, sand
0: spurs or something, right? They did determine through dental records that it was Mike Kinney. And the autopsy revealed that he had three .22 caliber bullet wounds in his body and mm. several head injuries if inflicted yeah. by a square-edged instrument. The doctor who performed the autos- autopsy estimated that either set of wounds could have been fatal, but that a gunshot wound to the aorta was the actual cause of death. Kenny's body was in a partially mummified state and showed no signs of having been tied up.
1: So he's been dead a while.
0: The cause of death has never been... 100% determined, which is one of the reasons why. Cause we, of death or? Cause of death, uh, time of death. Time of time death. Time of of death. death. Okay. I'm sorry, yes. His, and I did look up partially mummified because I was like, how does a body get partially mummified? But it has to do with like the weather. So, so it's so-
1: May. It's what's May like in South. And it's, I looked it up.
0: Yes. Well, I looked it up when I was doing this and the day that I was doing this was maybe a week or two ago. Yeah. It was 68 degrees that day. Oh man, I
1: wonder what that's like.
0: I wonder what that's like in the middle of July, (laughs) right? (laughs) All right. So they did look at, analyze his stomach contents. They found what appeared to be part of an olive, some degenerated vegetable matter and some meat fibers that were consistent with Kenny's last known meal which was a pizza topped with pepperoni, sausage, mushrooms, and olives that he had eaten on May 8th at approximately 6.30. The doctor testified that normally food passes through the stomach in four to six hours with some variation. He also said that Kenny had been dead for two to three weeks, although that estimate was very rough. So anywhere from May 8th to May 14th. So they cannot establish time of death. Yes, he had pizza as his last known meal, but maybe that's his favorite type of pizza and he had another one. So they don't know exactly when he died. All right.
1: So let's say he died two weeks ago. Does your body stop breaking down? Yes. Your food? Yes.
0: So. That's why it's still in there. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, they really can't. Wow.
0: So the, uh, the whole thing is, was he alive? Was he still alive after Todd Miller got arrested? That's the question. Mm-hmm. Okay. I wonder if Todd mm-hmm.
1: never has, like fessed
0: out. Not that I found. The actual time of death was never factually confirmed so no one knows, like I said, if Kenny was still alive when the ransom switch was made. Kenny's family and friends were upset that Miller was arrested before he made it to his final destination. They believe that Kenny may have been alive at the time and could have return, been returned safely, but doubtful. since the police arrested him, they'll never know that.
1: Yeah, it's probably
0: doubtful, though. It's it's probably doubtful that maybe he was dead already when the ransom switch was made. Maybe someone else was involved and killed him when they realized cops were involved. I don't know. No one really knows that. Like I said, most many people, family and friends included, blame the police for Kenny's death. Why did officers not follow? Miller Miller to his final destination the night of the ransom drop they believe that maybe Kenny was still alive at the time like I said one of the agents the same guy agent Moore who stayed with the family when Miller was arrested said the officers made the right decisions so we didn't cause the kid's death I don't believe it's unfortunate it happened I mean fuck you dude that's my kid that's unfortunate yeah. newspapers from that time report that on May 29th the day after Kenny's body was found Todd Miller had returned to jail at his own request for protective custody yeah I bet now I never could find out why but I'm guessing that people were pissed at him and maybe been getting threats or whatever
1: probably like his friends like
0: yeah you know, or somebody came by the house Kenny's I don't know he wasn't yeah. there that long he he actually asked to be released again on May 31st so he yeah. went in for a couple days Mike Kenny was buried in Black Hills National Cemetery Near Sturgis in Rapid City, South Dakota, on June 3, 1985. Mm. In September 1985, a grand jury indicted Todd Miller on nine felony charges that included three counts of first-degree murder, one count of second-degree murder, two counts of kidnapping, one count of grand theft by threat, one count of possession of ransom money, and one count of forgery.
1: How do you get three counts of first-degree murder right, if so, one person dead? Okay, so
0: we had talked about this before. So one of them is Todd Miller killed him. Okay. okay? The other one was that Todd Miller, in the act of aiding and abetting Kitty, le- which led to his death, is still implicated as a felony in first-degree murder. Oh, okay. So they're, like you had said one time, like they add all these other charges on so that... So that
1: something will stick. Something
0: will stick. Okay, okay. Gotcha.
1: Which is like how they didn't do with Casey Anthony, and that's why she's walking right.
0: the today. And they knew this in 1985. They knew right. Do, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> On May 10th, 1985, two days after Kenny disappeared, Miller cashed a $25 check written from Mike, Mike Kenny's personal checking account. Kenny's name was misspelled and the signature was obviously not his. Of course, Miller pled not guilty to all charges and his trial began about a year after his death. The checkbook, by the way, was never found.
1: Interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: At trial, the prosecution called witnesses whose testimony offered the following motive. Miller's father, Martin, was in severe financial difficulty, and in early 1985, had written bad checks, totaling $23,420.10.
1: And that's a lot of money. Like, I wonder what the transfer rate from Yeah, from
0: 1985 to
1: now, it's huge. Let's see. Okay,
0: you look that up. Now, Miller knew his dad was in financial trouble, and he felt compelled to help his dad out in any way he could. Miller told his dad that he was selling a horse and that he would have the money on May 14th, 1985, which coincidentally was the day after the ransom drop-off. Martin had a land payment due on that same day, and he planned to use the proceeds of the horse sale to make a payment. Miller's sister Paula testified that Miller did not indicate he was any, in any sort of trouble during their ride to Starbuck, but she did admit that Miller wanted to get money to help his father make a land payment. Damn. What'd you
1: find? So I just put in twenty three thousand uh-huh. dollars, you know, and it says, "What is twenty three thousand dollars in nineteen eighty five worth today de- in today's money, adjusted for infl- inflation?" Twenty three thousand dollars in nineteen eighty five is equal to fifty six thousand, give or take, in two thousand and twenty.
0: So fifty six thousand dollars just to get out of trouble for bad checks. Then you have land payments and penalties and fees and all that
1: that's a lot of bad check
0: writing (coughs) yes
1: i'm surprised he wasn't in jail like automatically
0: me too Uh, he would be too yeah now the defense offered evidence that cast doubt on mike kenny's character so i remember the the defense is trying to say oh well kenny masterminded this whole thing they said kenny used marijuana regularly and dabbled in other drugs so what A former girlfriend testified that in June 1984, a year before his disappearance, Kenny had once mentioned that he wanted to leave Aberdeen and go to Canada. She testified that he told her that he could raise money for the disappearance by forging a bank document. Mm -hmm. The witness noticed, however, or noted that Kenny had no money problems. And wouldn't this testimony be, to me, wouldn't this testimony be considered hearsay? She's like saying a conversation that they had.
1: In my opinion, yeah. I mean, everything that we've read, I would think that.
0: Yeah, how can she testify as to a conversation that she had with him that would be hearsay? Yeah. Objection.
1: <laughs>
0: Other witnesses testified that Kenny already had access to Mrs. McNeil's bank account, so I don't know how much, how much, you know, that weighed to the jury at all. The prosecution introduced plenty of physical evidence at trial. There were hair and fiber evidence that was introduced, which strongly linked Kenny to Miller's wife's Oldsmobile. Huh. Three types of fibers were found on Kenny's clothing that matched fibers from the car's trunk. Severed hairs from Kenny's head were also located in the trunk. An FBI expert testified that it is an extremely strong association between the trunk of the car and the victim. The chance that the victim was not in the trunk of this car is extremely small. I would have just said he was in the trunk. That right. would be the way to just come out and say it.
1: But don't they, aren't they now, like in 2020, um, disputing a lot of fiber charred like fiber evidence but is that only when they're trying to compare?
0: I think you can pick up fibers anywhere but when you're talking about blood and hair in a trunk it's almost likely that that's yes. I know that 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 DNA evidence is not the end-all you know.
1: But if they found fibers let's say they didn't find hair in the trunk but they found trunk fibers on on Kenny then that could be disputed because I think that that's what they're calling into. Like question these days Mm -hmm. but since his hair was found in the trunk that might that makes it more Mm -hmm. um, probable
0: most likely they believe that he was in that trunk now the defense offered testimony that the blood from the car was too badly deteriorated for it to absolutely prove to be kenny's blood in addition a live 22 caliber round was removed from miller's camaro but the 22 caliber bullets in Kenny's body could not be matched to the round because they become deformed upon impact, so you can't really test. those. I don't know about today, but back then they couldn't. Lastly, Miller's handwriting matched that on the forged check that was drawn on Kenny's bank account after his disappearance. An eyewitness placed Miller at the convenience store where the where the check was passed. Kenny's checkbook, which he was carrying the night he vanished, was never found.
1: So he just wrote a check for 25 bucks, like yeah. gas money. Yeah. Which is weird if he had all that money in his wallet. Well, he... Maybe that was before. Yeah. Before he got the money. Yeah, I
0: didn't check the time. He got Mm -hmm. the money on May, uh, maybe May 13th. I think. I can't remember. I can't remember. After closing arguments and instructions from the judge, the jury was sent to deliberate the evidence they had pizza delivered for lunch and by the end of the day they were taken to a hotel to be sequestered under armed guard each juror was in his or her own room with no television, no fo- oh, no phones now I am leaving a lot of this stuff out um, there was testimony from a guy who was an anthropology professor and he testified that Kenny had died, not going to get into this later, but they also had searched the car upon first finding it and they noticed that they took out some things but then when they went and sees the car again and look they notice that carpet had been cut out uh, so i've been leaving a lot of stuff out yeah. just for time's sake but um, eventually the jury found uh, miller guilty of first-degree murder kidnapping possession of ransom money and forgery all of which he appealed in state versus miller of course miller was sentenced to life in prison on the murder and kidnapping charges 15 years of imprisonment for possession of ransom money and five years on the forgery count all to run at the same time concurrently. Now, from my limited understanding of how the court system works, Miller appealed to the district appeals court, who agreed that Miller's rights were denied on the grounds of wrongful search warrants and the admissibility of certain expert testimony. The prosecution, however, disagreed, and the case moved up to the South Dakota Supreme Court. So the the appeal, the appellate court threw it out. They said mistrial or whatever they say, you know, we need to order another trial. But then the prosecution said, no, you're wrong, and they took it up to the South Dakota Supreme Court. Miller appealed on the grounds that the police did not have probable cause to search three vehicles to search any papers regarding finances and papers referring to Kenny. The court found this appeal frivolous. That's the Supreme Court of South Dakota. Mm -hmm. And those, that's their words. They used frivolous. Um. In the ruling, they wrote that if there was ever any probable cause for warrants, then this was a textbook case for it. It is ludicrous to say that the police did not have probable cause because Miller implicated himself as being in on the scheme and all five of the stories. There was never any doubt that he had not been involved. Yeah. So when you say, yes, I was involved in all five stories, then that is your probable cause. Yeah, I agree. Now, Miller also appealed on the grounds that the prosecution's expert testimony was not so expert. And this is what I was getting at earlier. The higher court did agree with him, with that. At trial over Miller's objection, a forensic anthropologist testified for the state. He estimated that Kenny's body had been in the ice house for 18 to 20 days based on his examination of insect larvae removed from the body and photographs of its state of decay. This guy earned a doctorate in anthropology eight months before testifying but he had no degree in entomology or zoology and he was also his estimates were extrapolated from the results that he personally obtained in a unique study involving exposure of human corpses in various Louisiana locations so it's a different climate no similar experiences had ever been carried out by other scientists so the accuracy and applicability of his methods were Unverified. I know so they, they
1: have th- these body farms all over the yeah. country
0: now. Well, Knoxville has one. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: You can donate your body. to <coughs> it.
0: The South Dakota Supreme Court agreed with the findings of the trial court as far um, as far as everything else. So that that man's testimony did not dispute the fact that Miller was responsible for the kidnapping, the ransom, and the death. Doesn't matter when the guy died. Honestly, he, the fact right, of, right. That he died. So they upheld the tr- the lower court after exhaustively referring reviewing the trial records they reversed the lower appellate court's findings and affirmed all convictions found in the trial court so yay so this guy is sitting in prison right now still Mm -hmm. after the trial reporters caught Sandra McNeil and her son dave kenney as they exited the courthouse and she was sobbing i I mean she couldn't even talk dave dave kenney told reporters that they are relieved that todd miller was convicted and the trial is over but that will never bring back their beloved son and brother so his poor mom was already gr- a grieving widow when her son was kidnapped what? and murdered i mean i cannot imagine the pain that she felt no not at all um and i just hope that in the following years that she found peace and happiness know. you know what i mean so that's it
1: wow It's sad uh-huh. i was trying to see if the brother
0: was on facebook did you look him um up? i i did kind of look um and i i did find some of the people like mm-hmm. the toby guy that was mm-hmm talked about i did find some of those people because they're not that much older than i am a right. lot of them and some so of them,
1: you know this would impact i mean this is like a pivotal time of their life that's something that will change them as a person right you know yeah i, mean, I know that absolutely well, you know that absolutely i experiencing it just how heartbreaking i mean it's always heartbreaking when someone's murdered mm-hmm. but i don't know when it, they're well, younger like that it's just
0: right and i just can't imagine the fact that he was implicated in it that would piss me off even oh, more yeah. You know, oh, yeah. that would just because kids say stupid things to their friends, you know, so yeah, whatever I mean, the reason. None. I don't understand why they lashed onto to that fifth story there. To me, there's no. Oh, and I know that I did leave out a lot of the things on the trial. But the prosecutor, one of the things that Todd Miller said was that the prosecution kind of like tainted the jury and the questioning before they tainted t- the jury pool because one of the main reasons that the police believe that kenny was involved was because of that hotel clerk who said oh yeah i saw him alive on may 13th but have you ever like seen someone in a in a parking lot or at a store or something that you thought was someone else yeah of course and that's the question that the yeah. prosecution asked the jury pool and they said oh that's a tainted question so that can't be you know the fact that the person and i looked at pictures of him and they kind of looked alike so it's not an uncommon look for kids to have the same haircut and all that at the time right
1: especially not in the horrible tragic 80s hairstyles yeah (laughs) all right well well, that's yeah
0: that's all i have for this week yeah
1: god and he's still rotten in prison yeah, i
0: hope so yeah and as far as i know he is i did look it up he is yeah i don't know anything about what his wife his there child, were pictures uh, i looked up all uh, if you're interested um on our show notes i have all those links to the newspaper articles and things that have pictures of him and his wife and his sister and, mm, god, and yeah. he had a,
1: like a newborn
0: yep wow. so that child is yeah yeah almost
1: yeah. 40 years old mm-hmm. give or take a few years mm-hmm. wow Well, thank you so much for listening to this week's murder. We appreciate sharing our passion with you, and we thank you for your support. If you'd like to support us even further, please consider subscribing to our podcast and giving us a five-star rating and a comment. Your subscription and ratings are essential to our success. You can do this by um, visiting your favorite platform and subscribing. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, please visit our website at it wasn't me. Ah, it wasn't me true
0: <laughs> Also, send us an email at a true crime podcast. podcast at gmail.com. We are so grateful to spend our time together to share our murderous stories. Thank you so much for your support. Please remember or please recommend it wasn't me to your true crime loving friends and family. Also, thank you to our Patreon supporters. You are the extra. You too can become one of our beloved patrons by signing up at patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod. Thanks again, guys. And remember, it it wasn't wasn't me. me.